0: Welcome to another episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today, we're joined with a, a new co-host, Justin Barksdale. Welcome, Justin. And we have uh, Drupad Triv- Triv- Trivedi from 810 Networks. And I probably messed that name up really bad, and I apologize ahead of time for that. I'm horrible with names, but uh, hopefully, I, hopefully I didn't do too bad. So how are you doing
1: today? Welcome to the show. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. And uh, also nice to meet you, Justin, as well. Look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we brought you to the show because, uh, you know, we thought there were some interesting synergies here. You know, obviously, A10 has been around for a long time. Um, Maybe you can start to just talk a little bit about where you guys came from and uh, where you're going with, with the technology, because I think things have shifted quite a bit in this industry and it's always interesting to see how people are adapting and, and what you're doing with your product set too, to kind of adapt to that. So maybe you could just start there.
1: Absolutely. No, no. Great question. So I think, you know, of course, A10 Networks as a company has been around for more than 10 years. And it was founded by Li Chen, and uh, who came from an engineering background and wanted to build a company bottoms up that you know built upon an elegant engineering platform right of course and uh, and focused originally on application delivery controllers uh, but over the years continued to expand what we were able to do and i joined the company in december 2019 so roughly 2 years ago and you know for us really like many companies we were faced with the notion of our customers' buying behavior changing, uh, our customers' consumption kind of preferences changing over time uh, to be some mix of CapEx versus OpEx, on-prem versus cloud. Uh, And as a company, what we continue to do is focus on what are the biggest challenges our customers are solving and how do we create value for them. And part of it had to do with continuing to expand our portfolio with more cybersecurity features that were integrated and more functionality that helped them get better throughput through the system, lower latency, higher security, but at the same time be responsive to their evolving buying preference change and consumption change. And so we have been, you know, like many companies, taking our core capabilities and continuing to evolve it to be more and more relevant uh, to the market transition and the customer buying transitions that are occurring in the marketplace. So, uh, and prior to it, and I spent about 10 years at a company called Belden uh, doing things like, uh, you know, running their tripwire business for cybersecurity and industrial networking and so forth so uh, really this is sort of bringing together a lot of constructs around how do you take a technology competency and then adapt it to different consumption models and buyer behavior preferences uh, versus trying to reinvent yourself as something that doesn't have a core foundation to it
0: now, those are all really good points. I mean, now, we talked about some of these transitions. Obviously, cloud is a huge thing. Um, you know, what are you seeing? I mean, when, when we talk about cloud, we're talking about, uh, typically we talk about personas. So we talk about IT ops and DevOps and things like that. How has that changed? You know, because we're moving more towards a DevOps persona now. How has that changed your your ecosystem and what you guys are
1: doing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So there's two two elements to it. One is, at least for A and Networks, a uh, majority of our customers are in the category of what we call service providers, which is telcos, MSOs, cloud infrastructure companies. And in those companies, there is still a strong element of building infrastructure to then deliver services and generate revenue. And so we see a slower evolution towards Doing more virtualization, container based architecture, whether it's even if it's on prem, actually, sometimes. Uh, And so, in that case, it's finding the right balance between IT ops and DevOps, uh, because it's almost like the engineering group and the operations group at our customers and helping them find a common way to win and a common value. As you move on that spectrum towards enterprise, you know, large enterprise is still closer to service provider segment for us, where they still are uh, very worried about applications, critical data, security, latency, things like that. Uh, And this would be things like big banks and gaming corporations and so forth. And as you move towards small and mid-enterprise, as, as you said correctly, we see that balance between ID ops and DevOps continue to shift in one direction. And as you get to small and mid-enterprise, certainly you know, cloud is seen not just as a consumption model, but also as a way to deal with things where they may not have the skills in-house or they are dealing with a situation where they would rather not have the capex spending to build and maintain infrastructure and simply uh, deal with it as an OPEX cost on what they want or don't want. Uh, So we see that as a pretty wide spectrum, but, uh, but I do think it is increasingly important even for us to be able to show that value proposition, not just to the network, planning team or the network infrastructure team, but also to the CISO and the CIO and the development teams who are often looking at doing you know product releases very frequently, if not daily. So so it is a graduation and we see that as we look at our vertical segments, they are all moving towards it eventually, but at different pace.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, we come from this world that was very um, diverse in terms of you know you had the IT ops, you had you had people that were developers, and really it's all converging now. And really, when I think about the uh, you know what's important these days, it's really the workload. So you have to you have to figure out where that workload needs to be and how to have scalability and. Redundancy and you know all these important things that have to be put on top of that, like as you said, security. You know, but really, when you think about it, it's how do how do things relate to the workload now? Um, and obviously, we came from a place that was just application servers before, okay. and right. you know, web servers, application servers, database, and now we have all these microservices. How has that changed? you know what you do i mean you you always had global services load balancing that was built in which was a really nice thing from the beginning because a lot of the other vendors you had to pay separately for that um you know and it was you know uh you know so you came from that that background but how how has it changed now that you are in this microservices world is has or has it changed
1: yeah no that's a good question and it is it is definitely evolving and it's a little bit along the lines of what I was saying before so what we see is Uh, you are almost decoupling the notion of a fixed infrastructure, right? So people are resonating to the idea that in a container-based world, you can turn on containers. Uh
0: Uh-oh. Let me uh, pause for a second here. Well, we could just cut it when he comes back in. Justin, you still there? I am here. We'll just uh, make a little edit yeah. there. That's all right. No problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll go back. You guys can edit yeah. it later. So yeah. so I think, uh, you know, similar to what I was saying before, it a little bit varies by segment. And uh, what is very appealing to customers, whether they are doing it on-prem or in the cloud, is in a container-based world, there is a perception of being able to turn on the capacity you need and then turn it off when you're done with it. Right. And uh, that has been very appealing. Now, what we found uh, was the pivot point for us really was the ability to combine things like load balancing, security, and even things like uh, network access translation, right? Like carrier grade, CGNAT, and bringing those capabilities on a common software foundation. Uh, that included things like DDoS protection as well, uh, gave sort of a way for us to bridge them from the world of uh, where they could now operate those capabilities on-prem or in a virtual sense with bare metal or something else or in a purely containerized version. Uh, But where the customers were seeing value is their ability to manage it in a simpler way with less interfaces and less complexity, right? So to me, that ability to consume uh, becomes more important uh, in a world of microservices and a container-based world uh, where a a customer does not need to have expertise in security or something else to consume the product. And so the transition for us, which, you know, is, of course, significantly cultural as well, was how do we make it easy for our customers to consume these very complicated capabilities around lower latency or higher security without them having to invest in people and trying to retain them, right, to do that. And... uh, and that, that was a transition for the company as many hardware companies have faced. And it it kind of spans across you know, sales and marketing where you have to go from selling a box with more features and functionality to an ROI for the customer, right? To say, hey, here's your OPEX and CAPEX and ROI in less than 80 months. And if that's interesting, then... I can address your KPIs with these products, if you will. Uh, so that was, and then on the engineering side, similar to what you were saying is, you. we also had to continue to make the transition from the notion of making a high-end purpose-built hardware with software to where we need to be differentiated even if they don't use our hardware, Right maybe slightly less, but they still have to see the value. And the value of decoupling hardware and software uh, was a big cultural change for us uh, in engineering, product management, and everything else, and finance, right, where a customer consumption model is very different, and they don't want to buy something big up front. They want to pay something less every month. And so we have been going through that transition and, and really to me in the end, it came down to finding the balance around what creates value for our customers and how do we enable that, right? So it's not sort of our decision to tell them the right answer. And so oftentimes what we find is customers who care a lot about critical applications and critical data whether it relates to financials or security or privacy, find a sort of blend or a hybrid solution uh, where they want to continue to own the application and maybe the data, but want to take advantage of virtualization and cloud and want to take advantage of a third party who knows a lot about security and helps them put in you know ways to navigate and remediate those concerns uh without them being the experts and so that's that's sort of the balance we continue to navigate uh, with our customer base yeah that's that totally makes sense
0: um yeah and, and you know what it's 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 an interesting thing and i think we talked about this a little bit before but yeah i mean so that's the key is providing these services in a way that's unique because and there are, there are so many of these uh, services that are out there, especially in the open source world, but they're not necessarily the most user friendly services in the world. So if you're coming from a background that is, um, you know, maybe not developer centric, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit unique. So what we have to do is kind of take those great pieces uh, of of the open source world and kind of figure out how to orchestrate them and and use them with the product sets that we have, and I think that's that's the unique challenge there. You know, so I think you said it very well. Um, but I think that uh, you know that's that's kind of what everybody in this industry is trying to figure out is you know what are the pieces we can use and what do customers actually want in terms of the the product set? Uh, do they wanna do they want to make all infrastructure as code? Do they want to make all uh, you know web front ends and make it easier and and orchestrate that, that that those kinds of things at the end of the day, I think it comes somewhere in the big be- in the middle of that where you just got to give them choice, and that's really what people want. I think it's choice choice to do yeah. what they, what they want there so True. what's your, uh, yeah. your perception of, of that in in your industry
1: yeah no no that's a very fair point. I think uh, what you find is depending on the customer type they have a different, uh, you know, weight that they would ascribe to different elements. And so exactly as you said, right, I think you could leverage a lot of the ecosystem that is available in the marketplace, but ultimately you have to relate your value proposition to what matters to that customer segment. And, you know, so for us, for a customer who is building a cloud infrastructure has different weight factors than a small enterprise in, you know, in Europe, right? And so I think what is important is we have gone through an industry phase of where we started with the notion of, you know, cloud made it easy, it commoditized IT, made it accessible to everyone, which was a great thing. But in the end, it is a consumption model. It's Mm -hmm. not a technology and uh, ultimately what you have to look at is what can we do better than anyone else that creates customer value and then how do we deliver it in different ways uh not the other way around right so our core competency might be we can do ddos protection against volumetric attacks and sophisticated attacks better than anyone else we can then deliver it as an appliance or subscription, doesn't matter. And so I think many companies are sort of in the mind, in sort of mode of trying to decide whether they are a cloud company or a not cloud company. And that's a false choice, right? You are really a company about what you know how to do well. And then from that, you need to pivot to what is my customer's buying preference and how do I align my resources to meet that requirement, right? Versus the other way around. And what we see is the same thing is by customer segment, you know, our customers who are act actually in the business of building infrastructure and then using that to deliver services care a lot about latency, throughput and security, right? Right. If you go to the other end of the spectrum, they care a lot about ease of use and compliance and saying that they are now protected. And you know the degree of engagement is very different right, on the two. And they are both important, neither is better than the other. And to your point, I think that's where uh, we see our role as being able to bridge sort of the uh, spread and width of technologies bombarding these customers, saying, if you want to be secure, this is what you should do. And they have about 23 of those categories. (laughs) And then every quarter they have to debate which five are really important. And, you know, the simplest answer may be, actually, if you don't do anything, start by training your employees on phishing attack, (laughs) right? Like, you don't need to buy anything from me, right? If you don't do that, do that first, right? <laughs> and then do the next thing and then do the next thing. And, uh, and you know, same thing, right? We have done like zero trust security for years. It is more about the concept of saying, hey, you used to think everything inside the moat was secure. The concept is it's not anymore because your attack could be coming from inside. Sure that's not a product, right? That's a concept, right? So start training your employees. Tell them not to click on stuff, right? That actually may be the fastest ROI and then do the next thing and then do the next thing and then do the next thing, right? And of course, we can help you with the seven next stages too. Uh, And I think that's where you see sort of the differentiation on customers' uh, types and their use cases, right? So I think where we are seeing Uh, the most technically oriented customers focus is where our solutions help them become more secure and have lower latency because that translates to economic outcome for them and where we need to focus a lot more on ease of use and channel partners is on the other end of the spectrum uh, where the customer may not have the expertise and they don't need to right and if we don't make it easy for them, we are not going to get their business, right? So so it's, it's really spanning both ends of those things right now.
2: Uh, Drew, but you talked a little bit about, um, you know, sort of the transition that customers are making and the transitions that A10 is making. I wonder if you could elaborate more on maybe how that transition impacts your, you, know, you mentioned their partners and and how you maybe are, are coexisting or, or augmenting some of the services that they offer.
1: Yeah. Uh, great question so so i think you know one of the interesting uh transitions for the channel ecosystem in the networking industry has been five seven years ago typically the more sophisticated si and war type channel partners around the world uh were focused on services selling the products from the companies and or to, to the point earlier around transition to microservices as sort of the unit, right? Uh, rather than a product or gigabits per blade. Uh, the transition for us as, as as well has been how do we work with our channel partners so that they see this as a joint success as well? And how do we use this as a way for them to upsell but then be part of that ecosystem to help us be more successful versus seeing it as a zero-sum game. And, you know, we are still early in that process, but the changes for us have been moving more towards system integrator and VAR-type partners, uh, and, yes, more Europe and U.S. as well, uh, where we have had to help them understand that this is the industry transition, this is how we can win together, and you are not less important, but your role is going to evolve, right? We still need your help to drive a solution with the whole ecosystem, we still need your help in terms of reach to customers, and we still need you as a critical partner to deliver and turn up a lot of these installations, but it's different. and. What we found is, you know, as with everything, there are some for whom that's not a good fit. Uh, You know, their business model was more predicated on turning inventory and, you know, they have a tougher time with it. And there are partners who were more technically or solution oriented and, you know, they are embracing it and they are looking forward to it because they know that's going to be the future. Uh, So it is, it is, it varies a little bit by region. I would say in Europe, you see pretty strong VARs, value added resellers, and that's a great ecosystem in place. Uh, In North America, you have the whole range from box distributors to system integrators. And obviously for us, it's moving more to the right uh, over time as we can.
0: That's, that's a good point though. I mean, before historically you could just sell boxes and people said, hey, I just want a firewall or a load balancer or yep. whatever it may be. But now it's really more about that digitalization of, of, of everything. And really to do that kind of architecture, you need to understand the whole solution set. And it's, you know, I, I was just thinking about that. You made me think about this, but, you know, being in, in, a, in a specific category of like load balancer and security and application security, you know, you really have to instill in the partners that this is a piece of it, and you have to understand how to architect this piece with the whole entire solution, and that'll be such a more powerful, you know, sales motion. And that's got to be really tough for a company, and it's including us. You know, I would think that, you know, it's it's a harder thing to kind of, uh, you know, get that kind of mindset and get that mind share. You know, that's so how do you go about doing that? Actually, <laughs> I would love to understand.
1: Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's a that's a great question. And I think you're right. Right. It is it is a tough transition. And, you know, like like many companies, uh, we had to adopt some sales methodologies, whether it's, you know, challenger based sale or solution selling and so forth. Uh, and what I think, you know, I, I learned and we are making changes still is You sort of have, as with any change management, sort of a gradation, right? So you have about a third of the people who are open to that idea, open to learning new ways to do things and open to, you know, seeing if that makes them more successful. You have about a third that's going to kind of, you know, hang in there and see how it goes, right? They're like, I've seen many things come and go, right? Let's see how this goes. And then you have about a third who is just negative on it, right? Who says... I don't, I don't know why I need to do this, right? I've been successful for 25 years. Like, right? this is like, I don't need to do this. And so we have been going through, obviously, like many companies, right? Similar transition. And what I think is very important, I found is really leading and driving it from a market and a customer winning perspective. So it's, it's not about, what you did for the last 10 years was not good. It's about in the next 10 years, what you were doing is still good, but they just don't want it. That's not what they want, right? And I give people this, you know, funny analogy, right? And like, I won't say any copyright names because podcast, but uh, if you are a blade company, you know, you could say my strategy is last year, I made a blade, I made a shaving thing with four blades. This is my roadmap. Next year, guess what? Five blades. Right. And the year after, seven blades. Right. And then you may find out, oh, nobody's shaving anymore. Right? That's your problem. Right. Yep. So it's not. So it's 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 around understanding that what you are doing is not necessarily good or bad. It's situational. And what customers are looking for now is different. And if your, you know, bias is how do I still win, then we can help you. Right, we can change and we can adapt and we can still win. But if your approach is I know how to sell blades, right? Well, how come you guys don't shave anymore? Then you're you're going to be running into a wall, right? So I think, to me, that the big change has is really around culturally understanding the customer needs have changed the buyer behavior has changed. Our core competency may still be equally strong, but how do we translate that into customer value now? Uh, and it is a tough transition because, you know, especially on the commercial function, you see people who are great at selling boxes and they ship the box, they got their commission and went over, right? It's a great right. quarter. And now we are asking them to sell a subscription, which will happen over three years, right? (laughs) And it is not only to do with whether you are, you know, 100 gigabit or 104, right? Customer is saying uh, it's interesting, but that's not the reason I choose you, right? Uh, The reason I choose you is because you work with my reporting partner X and my ecosystem partner Y and it all works together. And you've, Uh, help me show my CFO or my audit committee that I am improving my security posture and that I'm continuing to upgrade my processes. And so for us, yeah, you're right. It It is a tough transition. And we have approached it from two ways. One is highlight that what does winning look like in the future and how do we need to change to be part of that and second is really give them tools and training, and you know, ironically, people who are doing well are more resistant sometimes than the ones who are not, right? But that's just how it is, right? It's just psychology, and yep. uh, and it is it is absolutely a cultural uh, shift for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. Uh, about the training side of it. I mean, one of the things that we we. I think find ourselves in is that we offer a lot of trainings in different areas to um, what we would call, you know, our, our traditional uh, buyers, right? We, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. as a networking company or longstanding networking company, who's making a pivot to be a software company and and a cloud company, um, you know, our traditional buyers are still longtime networking friends. And so I'd be interested to kind of hear how you approach that from a training perspective, because oftentimes that's where, you know, there is resistance.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I think, you know, one of the things up front we talked about, and I think, Michael, you mentioned it, is thinking about the different persona, right, whether on the customer side, whether it's DevOps and IT ops. And one interesting lens for me is always talking to my commercial teams about the buyer persona. So think of it as what you are going to pitch may be seen by, a CFO or a CIO or a CISO or a network planner. In all four instances, it needs to work, right? And it's not, and and to do that, you need to find the balance between, yes, I can give you lower latency, but so what? Then I need to say, what does lower latency mean for the CFO and for the CIO and for the CISO? And, And I think for me, really thinking about uh, exactly as you said, our value proposition being highly relevant to a CIO and even more specifically a network infrastructure or planning person, uh, is, is the transition to go from there to say, yes, you might have a great value proposition for that work group, but maybe they don't have all the budget anymore. Right. And so you need to be equally resonant with a CISO or a CIO or even a CFO who might be worried about compliance. Uh, and you see that in many cases, right? Where uh, especially if you are talking about networks going across, you know, IT, corporate ID, business IT, OT environments, uh, those were never kind of connected until security became a common thread, right? Because they were about achieving your business outcome or your line of business. And so I think to me, the, you are right. And you know I'm not suggesting we are perfect by any means, but, but the thing we are trying to change is uh, your message used to be resonant with this one group, but that is now one out of four decision makers. Right. So who is the economic buyer? Who is the technical buyer? And how are you going to get both? Right. Is right. right. the tougher part of the story. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's great. And and just to kind of follow up that, um, we're, you know, a few years ago, I would even say maybe a few months ago to some people, security was almost like an afterthought. I mean, we certainly see every day new new news articles and new things coming up and and with the advent of cloud and multi-cloud and hybrid cloud and all these things. Um, I'm just curious to see, like, does security become a new buyer for you um, uh, and, and how that transition sort of happened as well?
1: Yeah, look, great question. So I think you're absolutely right. Right, I think a couple of interesting things happened in security. Uh, first is security moved from an IT issue to a company compliance and risk issue. Right. So it was no longer about what does the IT person think of security? It became about is the board okay that we are doing what we need to do. So that was a big shift, you know, three four years ago, especially after some high-profile breaches like Target and others. Uh, the second thing I think that's interesting, and you know, based on my years I spent before, is sort of the intersection of digital and physical realms, uh, where security used to be a digital issue, right? If there was a DDoS attack you couldn't get on Facebook, right? But now there is an intersection of digital and physical uh, where you can actually bring down the colonial pipeline, right? And so I think that has escalated the uh, importance of security as something that affects not just people's internet, but has the potential to impact factories and oil and gas refineries and so forth. Uh, so I think those two things have certainly uh, changed the weightage of where security fits in criteria to select a solution. Uh, and for us, you are right. Uh, you know, of course, as a company, it's very difficult to have your entire sales team suddenly become good at selling to a CISO. Uh, but I do think that it's uh, it's a very relevant dynamic for us as well. And the way we have really approached it is, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately for us, the way the company grew was very, very, very organically. So for us, the thing that helps is our infrastructure solutions typically have built-in, you know, security sensors and things like that, uh, that are automatically in there already. It's not, we need customers to deploy new solutions. And, What we found is security used to be sort of an insurance policy, uh, but now it has sort of elevated in importance because as you move to the world of microservices and you are selling that as a revenue stream, your downtime becomes a real big problem, right? And so your downtime has a much higher economic cost now than it used to. Uh, So for us, what we try to connect to is helping our customers understand holistically that with our solution, what you get in terms of ability to remediate, mitigate uh, by, you know, with sophistication, not like an on-off switch, uh, and identify patterns and block them gives them a better ability to deliver SLAs themselves, right? And so I think it is, it has become sort of uh, intricate part of our infrastructure solution and uh, rather than sort of security as a different category thereby. Yeah, yeah.
0: when you you look at it, it's funny because that whole uh, category of SRE or site reliability engineers really came about during the microservices realm because… Because those, they needed people to make sure there was uptime and availability. And yeah. then, then the, the whole SLO and SLIs came into place and, and all of that. So, you know, I think that it's, it's absolutely correct that what you're saying is that, you know, you need that kind of reliability that you get there. You have the DDoS and, and some of those other things there. So um, it's, it's interesting how you have a product and certain features were important, you know, a, a little while ago. And different features kind of morph and become more important now. And it's, and it's, it's kind of how you take advantage of those feature sets that absolutely. really make the differentiator in, you know, how well your product's going to
1: sell. <laughs> no, no, Absolutely, absolutely right. And, and obviously, you know, we are not a very large company, so we have to be very thoughtful and deliberate around what is our differentiation and how do we create customer value with that? Uh, and you are exactly right, right? So understanding what matters the most, and then helping build upon that, investing more in that, and getting our sales uh, pitch aligned to that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. No. I think this has been a great conversation. I mean, you know, we typically get you know a very technical view, and this this has been technical and kind of sales. You know, like get that background information about what we have to think about within this industry. And I think that's a really good talk track that we don't get a lot. So I really appreciate your views on on all of this. Um, we are going to wrap up pretty soon. So are there any, you know, um, places that you want to point people or is there any kind of topics, blogs, or or, or things that you, you think are of interest of, of our listening community out there?
1: Yeah, no, no, thank you. I think, no, certainly, I think we covered a lot of the topics that are germane and I, I hope it's, you know, helpful in terms of the experience going through these transitions. uh, Certainly I would point people to just 8nnetworks.com. And, you know, we have a security blog on uh, state of attacks and DDoS. And, you know, I think it has great visualizations on real-time view of DDoS attacks happening right now. And, you know, I always think people find that interesting visually. And certainly, you know, people can, yeah. So so it's not, not about A10, but it's just interesting to see sort of where their origin and where they are targeted and so forth. Uh, so it may be something, you know, interesting for people to see as well. And we continue to be active, you know, with our blogs on the side, uh, as well as on social media like LinkedIn. So hopefully people can see some recent articles on it, how what we can do to help them uh, with things like crypto attacks and SSLI and things like that. Uh, to, to the degree we can. But certainly I I, I think people can go explore uh, how we talk about solutions and how we are working with customers, whether they choose A10 or not. We hope they see there is technical expertise that might be interesting for them in whatever they do or wherever they work.
2: Absolutely. Justin, closing thoughts? No, I think this has been a great conversation. Drupad, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you know, look forward to maybe speaking with you again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Uh, so, yeah. thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode, which will should come out in a, in a you know another couple of weeks. And uh, we appreciate your listenership, if that's a word. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll we'll figure that out later. That's for another time. All right. Thank. Thanks Thank again, you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it.